Sonoma County Democrat newspaper podcast. Today we have a special podcast for you. Our co-editor Matt Shortall sat down with State Senator Jen Metzger via Zoom this week to discuss the most serious issues facing New Yorkers amid the COVID-19 outbreak, such as assisting dairy farmers and supporting veterans. State Senator Jen Metzger represents the 42nd State District, which covers much of the Catskills and the western Hudson Valley, including all of Sullivan County, parts of Orange County, Ulster County, and Delaware County. Here is that exclusive interview. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time today to uh, uh, visit with me through Zoom. And I guess um, we could just dive right into it. I know you got a busy schedule. Sure. So, uh, yeah, speaking of governors, I guess, um, you know, I was just reading some governors in the southern states have started to reopen their borders and their economies. And I know Andrew Cuomo has joined with a handful of Northeast governors to advocate sort of a more measured and piecemeal approach to reopening. I guess, um, you know, as a member of the state Senate, in your opinion, how do we sort of strike this balance between uh, reopening in a safe way, but also in an expedient way that gives people their lives back? Right, right. Well, first, first of all, you know, I just, it's, this has been uh, such an incredible challenge. So many people are struggling, so many businesses, so many of our small businesses are struggling and, and worried about, you know, whether they'll be open, be able to reopen uh, with such a prolonged um, closure. But uh, we have to, you know, make sure that we um, reopen the economy safely. Um, I, I'm fully behind doing it, uh, moving forward with this as expeditiously as possible. And I think we have to take a, a regional approach to doing that, uh, you know, paying attention to, you know, what, you know, the number of cases in the different regions. Uh, but but we, we really have to rely on our, our uh, public health experts to advise us as we're, as, as, as we move forward to open the economy. The New York on pause has been extended by the governor to May 15th. You know, we have, I've been heartened by the fact that the measures we've taken to date uh, in New York State have, are now showing uh, signs of being effective uh, with, you know, reduced uh, reduced cases, positive cases, reduced more uh, death rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, you know, we want to make sure that our plan to reopen keeps us moving forward uh, and does not uh, put us in jeopardy of undoing the progress we, we've made um, to date. So it's, it's difficult. It's going to be a challenge to strike that balance. But, uh, you know, it's, it's important that, uh, you know, we open the economy back up when we, um, as, as soon as it's safely, it, we're able to do so, uh, because it's just taking a really terrible toll on, on, um, on New Yorkers, on our, on our uh, many families and our businesses. 
Definitely. Um, I, I know you mentioned the toll it's taken on businesses. Uh, I think, you know, farmers are included in that. And I read recently that you sent um, a letter to the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, asking for assistance for uh, the New York dairy farmers. Um, I think it's fair to say that the dairy industry in New York was struggling, you know, long before this health crisis struck, but it certainly doesn't make it any any easier. Um, in the wake of COVID-19, what, what are you hearing from dairy farmers about their concerns or what they need? Uh, well, well, as you correctly pointed out, they, they have been struggling for um, some years now with, with very depressed milk prices. Um, and, you know, for our dairy farmers in, in our region, uh, they're, they're, they're small farmers, small dairy farmers, and, are, and it's, they have, you know, even less slack uh, to weather such, um, you know, a crisis like this. So, um, you know, it has, been, it has been very hard, the uncertainty, the unpredictability, um, the drop in milk prices, um, as you, as I'm sure you've read, and we've all been hearing about, um, many dairy farmers were forced to dump their milk because of uh, disruptions in, in the supply chain. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's painful, um, you know, to see the fruits of their labor have to be wasted like that. Uh, so what, you know, dairy is really, it's, it's, a, it's a federal policy issue. And what the letter that I sent, it was co-signed by um, several of the other senators, uh, urged our uh, USDA secretary to, um, you know, immediately provide direct relief to our dairy farmers. That's really what they need. They need direct relief to weather this, weather this, this storm that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And the, there, there are other tools at the federal level that can be used. Um, it could be direct purchasing of dairy products um, and uh, getting, getting those products to where they're needed. Uh, food pantries uh, and the like as well. So as we're seeing increasing food insecurity, um, we know there's a need <laughs> for, for, you know, for these high protein products. And, uh, you know, we, we need to get those products to where they're needed. Right. And I, I think in this letter, um, that was sent to Secretary Purdue asked for uh, something like 9.5 billion in emergency funds that were included in the CARES Act. Um, have you heard any kind of response from the, the federal level to these requests? Well, uh, some information has been coming out now from USDA um, over a, cup, uh, uh, a couple of billion has been allocated toward dairy, uh, direct assistance to dairy uh, we don't I, we don't have the details yet that's i mean it's really not sufficient uh certainly in terms of the need at the national level uh and at the state level um you know new york is we are um number 3 in milk production nationally and we're the top producer of several dairy products the number one producer of 
yogurt, cream cheese, cottage cheese. Um, you know, this this is a major industry for New York. It's unclear what you know how much of that of those funds are going to come our way, and so you know, I'm my office is is pushing very hard, continues to advocate to make sure that New York, our dairy farmers are going to get and dairy industry is going to get its fair share of those resources. But information is just, you know, information is coming out now. We don't have a full picture yet. Right. And I, I know, um, I think I read something about another bill uh, that you introduced um, that was connecting New York farms seeking employment to uh, helping people get jobs that were on farms experiencing labor shortages. So I guess even though some of this is at the request at the federal level, there are things being done at the state level to help the agriculture industry. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. So, you know, I'd introduced that bill um, at the, pretty much at the start of this uh, public health emergency. Uh, you know, there's been a labor shortage generally uh, for many farms. And, but um, at the time there, you know, were uh, real questions about, um, you know, there were problems with the H-2A programs and farmers were having trouble um, getting the workers through that federal uh, seasonal migrant labor uh, program that um, they normally rely upon. Um, and uh, at the same time, you know, we're, you know, many people are now um, unemployed. We have many um, college students that you know are have had to go back home, um, study remotely, and you know if there were you know there's there were people interested in farm work, this would be a way for ag and market um, for the state to try to basically connect um, connect farmers with workers by creating an ag portal. And uh, I've actually uh, just heard recently that um, Ulster County. Uh, is is interested in in exploring this at the county level, but yes. And then there's of course the all of the in, we just passed the state budget on April first. I fought really hard to make sure that all of our our ag programs were fully funded in what was a very challenging uh, fiscal year. You know, for the state. Uh, this the state, unlike the federal government, <laughs> is constitutionally required to balance its budget. You know, we can't spend more than we take in in revenues from taxes and fees. And with the slowdown in the economy because of this public health crisis, we're uh, we're facing a very severe uh, reduction in revenues. So it was a, it was a difficult budget. But um, maintaining the funding for ag programs was very important. Uh, there are um, a number of programs that that can are particularly helpful to farmers in this in in this time, uh, including FarmNet, which is a, a program of Cornell's that provides um, business business uh, financial and business counseling and assistance to farms. It also provides. Uh, mental health um, counseling. This is, of course, a very stressful time for everyone. Um, but uh, there's also the 
uh, Cornell's Pro Dairy Program, which the state also provi provides funding for, which provides, again, uh, technical and business uh, assistance to our farms. So um, these programs are all, you know, even more important today. But um, so there are there are resources available. I think that's good. And um, I'd like to switch to high speed internet if, if that's okay. I'm sorry if I'm jumping around a little bit. Sure. Uh, I know at the beginning of March, you introduced two pieces of legislation that uh, sought to recognize access to high-speed internet as a right to all New Yorkers and as something that's essential to economic and social well-being. Um, I, I think around the beginning of March, that was probably right before all these coronavirus restrictions went into effect. I guess, um, has the virus sort of strengthened that argument that high-speed access, access to high-speed internets is something that should be a right to New Yorkers? Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, uh, this, this crisis has shown um, how critical broadband uh, access is for New Yorkers, um, for, you know, in terms of their, their economic and social well-being, in terms of their health, in terms of getting timely access to information, uh, in terms of you know surviving in in this kind of economic climate, um, it's been it's 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 really um, thrown the spotlight on the importance of it and and shown at, you know what a severe disadvantage uh, people are if they don't have that access. Um, you know, kids. Uh, I have been talking. You know, to some. Uh, to teachers, to school administrators, um, you know, it's been tough, you know, in Sullivan County, and uh, it's, you know, it's different in different parts of the county, but, you know, in the Tri-Valley School District, you have, you know, as much as 20% uh, of the students uh, don't have access uh, to broadband. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're, they're, they're not getting, you know, the benefits of, of the online classroom, it's harder for them it's just, you know, it's more challenging to participate. And having a phone, having access on a phone, if you happen to have that, you know, an iPhone or a similar kind of phone, is just, it's not the same as having access on, you know, a full screen computer. So, you know, it, this, is, this is something we have to address. And, you know, I want to point out that it's, um, we often talk about access uh, in terms of, you know, just like the physical connectivity. Uh, but it's also about the speeds that people are getting. And we have many people in Sullivan County who, you know, they may have access to broadband, but the, the speeds are so slow that they can't, it, you know, it doesn't support all of the, you know, all of the uses uh, that are available. Uh, through the internet, uh, streaming, you know, participating in online meetings, uh, makes it very difficult. And then uh, there's yet another aspect uh, to this issue, which is affordability. Um, you know, there are uh, many households that simply cannot afford the costs, the, the monthly costs of, of um, you know, having internet. And so, you know, it's really, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-layered issue. Uh, the, the bill 
one of the broadband bills I introduced would the um, you know recognize this broadband access as as a basic right of all New Yorkers. Uh, it would require the Public Service Commission to map uh, broadband access statewide and uh, focus not just on uh, you know where where the gaps are in connectivity, but also um, map the costs. Uh, the costs of internet access, um, the speeds, and give us a much better picture than we have right now of what that gap is. Because, you know, the governor has been claiming that we've got over 98% coverage here in New York now, and that is just not what we're experiencing. So we need more accurate data, and then, and then we need to fill those gaps. Uh, the second bill, broadband bill I introduced, would create service quality standards for internet service providers in New York State for the very first time. Right now, they can, uh, you know, there's, they're just, it, they can take uh, months to come uh, set up a new service. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I was just talking with um, Robert DeFort at Sullivan Bosey's. When they moved their office, he, office, he said it took them something like five months to get to get this service, which is just unacceptable. Uh, they also people routinely are not getting broadband at the speeds they were promised, and that they're paying for, and that is also unacceptable. So we need uh, we need uh, service quality standards, just as we have them for utilities, uh, where they get they get uh, fined if they are not meeting those standards. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, that's all so important. And um, I'm curious, you know, what are the current, what's the current status of these bills and how close are they to uh, becoming a reality? Uh, so um, the bill, the first bill I, I spoke about, uh, it's uh, S5696. It's, I, introdu I introduced that bill last year. It's got 27 co-sponsors from, you know, both sides of the aisle. It's already passed through committee. Uh, it's passed through the tele uh, Energy and Telecommunications Committee and, you know, has uh, moved on, you know, moved the next the next stop is moving to the floor for a vote. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to pass that uh, as soon as, you know, when we come go back into session, which we can talk about in a minute. Session is not a, a typical session uh, these days because of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the second bill was uh, introduced more recently at the start of this session, I'm hoping that we can, I would love to see us get both of those passed. But in terms of process, it, since it was introduced more recently, it hasn't yet uh, gone through committee. Mm -hmm. And we are getting a, uh, so we passed a resolution uh, right before we, we adopted the budget to enable the legislature to work uh, to con do conduct session remotely, um, which, um, and we actually, that's how we ended up having to um, 
finish the budget. Uh, and it's important that we get back to work and, and use that process if we need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's got to be pretty historic. I can't imagine that ever occurring before where sessions are conducted remotely uh, on such a scale. Uh, how has that been working out? Right. Uh, well, it, it worked fine during, uh, during the budget uh, process. Uh, you know, we, we did end up, I did go to Albany. We all went to Albany, uh, but, but um, you know, conferenced uh, on Zoom from our separate offices. It's impossible to practice social distancing in the, in the chamber where we normally conduct our business because the seats are right next to each other and bolted into the floor. Uh, so, so there's, we really didn't have any choice but to uh, conduct business that way, but you know it is possible, and it's and um, and uh, you know it's we it can be entirely accessible to the public. We can make sure you know that uh, you know we're we're um, continuing to do the business of the legislature and need to continue to do the business of of the legislature in this time. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Considering all these um, bills of, of great significance before the legislature. Um, I'm interested in this, uh, this vote by mail initiative. I know, um, of course, the COVID-19 outbreak has affected a lot of local elections in Sullivan County. We had a, a number of village elections that were postponed now until April 28th. Um, I, I know you introduced this. To June, yeah. 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 Yes. Um, yeah, I, I introduced uh, a bill in March. I'm very concerned that that our our democratic process not be compromised in the least by this public health crisis. And it's you know it's unclear uh, how long. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get back to normal soon, but it's just unclear how long this will take. Uh, and certainly different regions are affected differently by this, by, by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but it is just prudent to have the State Board of Elections develop a plan that would enable people to vote, uh, to vote and vote safely uh, in, in a time like this during a state of emergency. So my bill directed the Board of Elections to, to develop a plan for uh, vote by mail, a vote by mail system. And this is uh, uh, a system of voting in which uh, every registered voter receives a ballot in the mail uh, and can either uh, you know, mail it back in or after they filled it out, or um, drop it off at drop-off locations. Uh, it's a it's a uh, a system that ha is actually in place uh, for all elections um, for re re regular voting in um, Oregon and Washington and Colorado. It's been in place for a number of years, actually. Uh, Oregon. Uh, was the first state to implement vote by mail uh, in 1994, and you know, over 100 million ballots have been cast that way <laughs> in that state since the time since without, without uh, any issues, any fraud or any, any issues like that. Um, 
it is, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an existing system. We can, uh, draw on the experience and, um, you know, models that, that exist in other states, uh, for developing a plan. But I think it's very important that we have a plan. Um, it, you know, it was what happened in Wisconsin recently, uh, for their primary, um, was, uh, terrible. I mean, people had to, uh, you know, risk their health in order to vote. And they ended up having to close a lot of the polling places because uh, the poll workers, um, you know, would be at risk of going to work. So it, uh, we, we just, we don't want to find ourselves in that situation. We want to, we want to make sure that we're prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting um, in, in states like Vermont that they've had the system in place and, as you said, have experienced uh, little to no fraud or, or things of that nature. Um, what can be done in, in New York, I guess, if they're still developing this process to ensure uh, election integrity? Well, first of all, you know, if, if we are going to develop such a plan, it needs to be done soon. I mean, I, you know, I had introduced this legislation uh, you know, a, a month, about a month ago now, uh, and we've got elections in June and it, you know, it takes time to first develop a plan and then you have to, you know, everybody has to, you have to educate everybody on it, make sure everyone understands uh, the process and um, because it's, it's a big change, but I think it's going to have to, if, if we do end up going uh, this route, there's going to have to be, um, you know, a great deal of effort put into um, getting information to voters about about the change and what and what they what they need to do. So that's information is key as always. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, right now, just about um, you know, we have absentee. Uh, absentee ballots in New York state, you know, uh, this is already a quarter of, of New York's population votes by mail by using their absentee ballot. So, it, um, you know, it's something that we certainly have experience with in New York. Uh, it, to, it is, you know, people get absentee ballots. It's, they have to have, um, in New York, they have to, you know, have one of the um, legitimate reasons to get an absentee ballot. You have to apply for it. Um, you know, if you're out of, um, if you're just, um, you know, out, out, out of state or, um, you know, if you're ill or have some reason, you know, some acceptable reason to get a ballot, you can. Um, so, and what, uh, recently the governor has, um, broadened uh, that, or I'd say relaxed the requirements so that um, essentially every New Yorker will have um, the ability to apply for an absentee ballot uh, because, of, because of the public health risk during this pandemic. The, the difference is, and the question is whether they actually have to go through an application process, as has been the case, you know, historically in New York or whether um, it will be automatic. In other words, 
if you are a registered voter, you will just automatically receive a ballot in the mail. So that's, that's really the key difference. Now, if I uh, were to shift gears one more time, uh, my last question is um, not exactly related to uh, COVID-19, but instead related to bail reform. Mm -hmm. I, I know when bail reform passed last year, it, it addressed what many people saw as a, as a serious problem in New York. And it, it also, I think, fair to say, angered a lot of people who um, were concerned about uh, public safety considerations and pretrial re uh, release certain measures about discovery evidence. Um, I, I know you've been pressing for what you call sensible amendments to the law, uh, you know, almost since it was passed. Uh, some of those amendments are reflected in this state uh, budget. Could, could you talk a little bit about those? Sure. Um, first of all, you know, the, uh, everyone, everyone agreed, everyone that I, um, you know, spoken with uh, in, in law, law enforcement and, um, sort of across the board agreed that there were there were problems with our criminal justice system that needed change um, the and the laws that were passed last year were meant to address that but um, I have um, you know there were inconsistencies in those laws um, you know, it, for in the bail law for example um, it, there Bail still applied to um, to crimes that are classified as violent felonies, uh, but you, you know there are crimes that people consider violent that did not um, fit the definition of violent felonies in the penal code, uh, which was in my mind a real inconsistency. And the uh, uh, the amendments that were made just recently as part of the budget, um, you know, expanded, expanded the crimes uh, that are bail eligible or remand eligible to um, a wider number of crimes that, that people consider violent. So that was a very important step. It also addressed um, a, a real concern about repeat offenders, um, you know, um, people who had you know, been accused of committing a crime, and then, you know, they'd get um, an appearance ticket and, um, you know, commit another crime. And so that this was also um, addressed in the amendments. Now, um, a judge can, can uh, set bail or remand uh, defendants who are repeat offenders. Um, another, uh, in the discovery, um, law, a major issue, first of all, uh, it was creating an incredible administrative burden, uh, cost burden on localities. And I had pushed very hard to get uh, funding for, to help, help counties and to help lo uh, local law enforcement cover the cost of, of implementing uh, the changes to the discovery law. The governor had originally proposed a $2 million fund um, for assistance, which was just, you know, nowhere near what was needed. So uh, we successfully got um, $40 million ad, uh, allocated in this budget uh, to create 
a fund to assist um, counties and localities with those costs. So that, that was a very important part of this budget. Uh, um, there were also some very practical changes, uh, amendments made to the discovery law. Um, one was essentially alleviated uh, the burden that um, the discovery burden uh, for um, you know traffic violations, which was taking up you know an extraordinary amount of resources and time, um, local law enforcements and counties. So um, that was addressed. Uh, the discovery timeframes were extended. Uh, um, clarifications were made regarding, um, you know, the submission of certain types of evidence, for instance, you know, uh, uh, the submission of test testing results. Um, you know, it was clarified that if, if the test results were not back from the lab, you know, it's the cases, it's then, you know, the process basically would be halted until that evidence becomes available uh, and cases shouldn't be dismissed because it because that information hadn't been made available yet. So there were a number of, of clarifications made uh, and changes made that I think are very important and um, will address, address concerns that were raised about the initial law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know no piece of legislation is perfect, but you hope it um, addresses the the root problem that uh, it arose from in the first place. Do Do you envision any more amendments to bail reform? Um, I think that you know, I I do think that we address the major issues. I think that it's important, you know, when you're when you're when a legislature passes major legislation, you have to be willing to go back and, um, you know, refine it and address any outstanding issues or anything that comes along. You have to be willing to do that. Um, and, and I th think that's exactly what we did. So I was I, I'm very glad that we got the changes we made and, um, and we'll go forward from there. Right, well, that's, uh, that's about all I had, and unless there's anything you wanted to add or to emphasize. Um, I, I, think that, I think that about covers it. I appreciate you calling, Matt. And oh, of course. I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know, uh, you know, this, things must be incredibly busy. Well, you all have, you all have been, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you, but it's the only paper I get in print is the Sullivan County Democrat, and I love it. I so look forward to reading it every time I get it. But um, there's something about a paper edition, you know, that's really nice. But um, I appreciate all the great coverage that, that you all provide. It's, it's a great service. So. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, definitely stay in touch with um, any questions or, uh, you know, issues. I'm happy to, happy to, but you know, I actually would like to say, is it too late? Can I? No, no, not at all. Okay. I would like to just talk a minute about constituency services. 
my, my office has been doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to let people know that my office is available to, um, to assist constituents with um, anything that they may need, uh, any access to resources. Uh, our, we can, our staff has been really working around the clock um, and they can uh, reach us at area code 845-344-3311. Uh, we've been um, particularly consumed with helping people with uh, uh, unemployment, uh, getting through to um, the Department of Labor to get their uh, unemployment insurance. Uh, processed, uh, but in, if there's any way we can help with that or anything else, I really encourage people to give a call. Um, I also wanted to just mention uh, a, a, some good news <laughs> in this budget that um, I that is particularly relevant to Sullivan County. Um, I had been advocating very strongly to try to get. Um, the Dwyer Peer Support Program for Veterans extended to Sullivan County. Uh, this is a, a model statewide program to, um, that provides peer-to-peer um, uh, -peer counseling uh, to help veterans dealing with PTSD, uh, with traumatic brain injury, and um, on other mental health issues, it's been incredibly effective. And there's a there's a really excellent program in Orange County, the Vet to Vet program. There, uh, it is um, something that is really important to have in more rural counties too, where social isolation is a, a, a major issue. And uh, I succeeded in, in securing the funding to, to create a, a vet to vet program for Sullivan County as well as for Ulster County. So very, that was some good news in what was other, otherwise a very challenging budget year. No, that is good news. You know, there's, there's a lot of veterans in Sullivan County and um, you know, they deserve the best. Absolutely, absolutely. As always, you can find us online at scdemocratonline.com or find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at scdemocrat. Or you can call our office at 845-887-5200. Thank you. See you next time.